continuing this series on Life is Good, talking about stewardship of, of life. Life is a gift. It is given to us by God. It is not ours to do anything what we want to do with, uh, but it's from him. And as stewards, we are to protect it. We are to care for life. We're talking about this week defending the case for life. Last week was making the case, so it's kind of a two-parter. My section here, continuing on from Pastor Nick's sermon, and he's going to be continuing this uh, even next week, uh, one message building on each other. But last week we made this claim just to make things really clear about what we're trying to say here and what we're trying to assert. And what we're saying is that abortion is morally wrong, because it is the intentional killing of an innocent human being. It's trying to make this just really clear what we're saying. And so abortion, when we talk about this, elective abortion, uh, we say this is morally wrong. We mean this isn't just an opinion. This isn't a matter of just taste or preference. We believe this is objective moral truth, black and white, right and wrong. This is what the, the Bible would call, this is sin. Okay, so abortion is morally wrong. Why? Because the intentional killing, this isn't an accident. This would be different than, uh, than a miscarriage, but an intentional killing of an innocent human being. And that's where last week we really emphasized that the fact that this is, we're talking about a human being is what makes all the difference. If it was just a, a clump of cells that was being removed, it would be the same basic decision of, do you want to have that mole taken off or not? And that's all it would mean. But if this is an actual human being, if this is a human life, then that changes the equation. And we're saying also, this, we have to realize that this is an innocent human being. This is not a murderer on death row. This is not a terrorist. This is an innocent human being that is in the womb and needs to be treated as such. And last week we saw that this is true from God's word. And we saw that this is also true based simply on the humanity of the unborn. So it's true if you have the Bible and you realize that, but even if you didn't have the Bible to know that as well, you can know this just because of the humanity of the unborn scientifically. It's shown that this is a human life uh, from conception on. So this is not merely a religious argument. Even though some, even some Supreme Court justices say this is just a religious argument. Uh, no, it, it is religious. We, we know this. Uh, it's also when we say, you know, killing and, and murdering and robbing and lying, those things are wrong too. But uh, it's not just wrong because it's in the Bible. It's, it's wrong because this goes against uh, God's design in this world. It goes against just the humanity of the unborn. So if all of this is true... If this, if this is what abortion is, then the words of Proverbs 24, 10 through 12 do apply. Let me read those. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. If in the tough times when there's, there's the fight, there's the conflict, and if you faint in this, it's saying you, you are of your small strength. Verse 11 Instead of fainting, this is what we're called to do. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. And if you say, behold, we did not know this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? not saying we're saved by our works, but this saying God notices what we do and there are going to be consequences and even for believers, I mean, rewards or there's going to be effects. God notices what we do and it's not just enough to say, well, I didn't realize what was going on. I turned a blind eye to this. I stuck my head in the sand and because I wasn't thinking about it, therefore I guess it wasn't happening or it didn't, didn't really matter. Sometimes because it's, it's tough to think about abortion because it is so ugly, it is so unpleasant, that it's, we want to just put it out of our minds and not think about it. Or to think that it's something that just uh, it barely happens so it doesn't really matter. Do you know that, if, that abortion would be the number one cause of death in the United States if they counted it? In 2017, for example, 
there were more abortions than deaths due to heart disease. In that year, according to records, there were 862,300 abortions in America in that year alone. Deaths due to heart disease, 647,000. Deaths due to cancer, 599,000. More deaths due to abortion than each of those. Let's bring it even more local, just Michigan. Some statistics. In 2020, there were 27,629 abortions performed in Michigan alone in just that year. 27,629, 2020. I wanted to wrap my mind around how much that was. So I thought, well, what can I compare that to? And so I realized I looked up, okay, the population of, of Hastings, the city of Hastings. And what would it be if you uh, went and you wiped out every man, woman, and child that, that lives in, in the city of Hastings? Not even close. Well, if somebody did that, they, they, they killed everyone in the city of Hastings. They came north, and then they took out TK. Okay, not just, the, not just the schools, not just the kids, not just Middleville proper, but if, you, if someone went and killed every man, woman, and child in the entire Thornapple-Kellogg school district, it is still less deaths than how many people were killed by abortion just in Michigan in 2020. In fact, the number of people, if you killed everyone in the city of Hastings, everyone in the village of Caledonia, and everyone in the entire school district of Thornapple Kellogg, it would still be a few thousand less than how many were killed by abortion in that year. I'm thinking how much that would make the news if there was even a, you know, a, a smaller, much smaller you know, shooting or killing. And yet, it just, it's not even our radar how many lives are being lost to abortion. According to these uh, same statistics, um, in 2020, there were 2,749 abortions for every 10,000 live births in Michigan. This means, if I did my math correctly, that if a baby is conceived in the womb that year, there was a 21.56% chance that it would be killed by abortion. More than, more than one out of five. Today we will be talking about objections that are often raised. Last week we started making the case that uh, abortion is uh, wrong because it's the intentional killing of a human life. We showed that uh, biblically and scientifically, this is a human life from conception. Today, we're going to be talking especially about some of the objections uh, from those that are supporters of uh, abortion choice. And we'll be looking at several objections, and I tried to think, how do I organize all of these? And there's more objections and things out there than we can deal with. We'll look at several, but we'll see that ultimately, they're all answered by just a, a few key, clear truths. And there are more things that you could say to answer some of these. Uh, and some of them may be good things to say. Sometimes there might be little rabbit trail arguments you, you could get into. But there's some core things we need to keep in mind. And one of the things that we talked about last week, and we need to keep this in mind, is at the core, it's what is it in the womb? And that we can get out in all kinds of issues about, you know, can somebody support this or what is you know, equality? And, but at the end of the day, you have to say, well, what is this in the womb? And if it is a human being, we need to treat it as such. If it's a human being, that, that's, the, that's the game changer here. So my first point is once there is a human being, that innocent life needs to be valued and it needs to be protected. And so we're called to do to, to defend those, to, to help those, to, uh, to nurture those. And if that is a baby that's been placed into your care, into your direct stewardship, that is what you need to do to value, 
to, to protect, to care for this human being. It's a completely different situation than the time when it's only a potential human being. And a baby, once it's conceived, is no longer just a potential, it's not a potential human being, it's a, it's a human being. When it's still a sperm and an egg, it's not a human being. Those are parts that theoretically could combine to create a human being, but not a human being yet. But after that, the situation is, is different. And I think we need to, to realize and help people realize that if you have an abortion that does not miraculously cause you to go back in time so that the pregnancy never happened. And sometimes we think that way, we treat it that way, that it just makes everything go away. That somehow it's like you're using your, you find out the situation, but you use your, your magic time zone to just reverse time, and therefore it didn't happen at all. Realize that's not the case. Once that baby is there, it is there. And abortion does not miraculously reverse time and make it like it never happened. We need to understand that. And so if we think of this, we focus on this. I'm going to go through several um, objections, talk about some of them briefly, some a little more in length. Uh, but keep in mind, of all the things you could say, I think this is core to this. It's a human being. And once a human being is there, you need to treat it as such and to value it and give it dignity and protect it. And this is why so many of the abortion choice arguments, they just fall flat if you're able to acknowledge that the unborn is there, the personhood of the unborn, the reality of that life. And so many arguments, and even before the Supreme Court, just it leaves it out like, the, like that unborn baby is even an entity to even care about at all. That's what we need to focus on. So think of this common thing, my body, my choice. You can say this, but how does this work if there is an actual other human being that is inside of you. Being inside of you is not the same as being a part of you. We talked about last week, this is a distinct human being, may have a different blood type, may have a different uh, gender, has a different DNA code than you have. It's a different human being. So this whole my body, my choice thing, okay, maybe that's true if it's just talking about you, but at this point, there is another human being involved. There is another body that is involved. And this argument doesn't apply. It doesn't make sense. Sometimes people say this. If you're against abortion, well, don't have one. And it sounds really cute to say that. I've seen bumper stickers that say that. They, oh, you're against abortion? Well, you keep that to yourself, then you, you know, just don't have one, and we're good. Basically, I mean, what if I need one, I want to have one, I choose to have that, that's my business. Realize that would be like saying, if you are against slavery, well, just don't own slaves. Back before the Civil War, a lot of people would have wanted to you know, argue it that way. If you don't want to have slaves, well, fine, if you're against it, then you don't have it. And we'd realize, well, wait a second, uh, you can't, that doesn't make sense. And there are other human beings that are involved. And it is wrong to treat uh, those people that way as slaves. And it doesn't matter if I'm the one enslaving them or you are. We care about those human beings in the same way we need to care about these human beings. Another similar one. People say this. You know, I'm personally against abortion, but I don't think it should be illegal. Sometimes even uh, people that claim to be Christians will, will say this. I'm, I'm personally against it. I don't like it. Or maybe I think it's, it's just um, you know, ugly. I would never do this. Sometimes it's kind of a giveaway that they think that morality is based on whether they find it appealing or not, whether they like it or they don't like it, rather than it just being actually right or wrong. But if you say, I'm personally against abortion, I don't think it should be illegal. Again, that's... Similar to saying, you know, I'm personally against sex trafficking, okay, but I don't think it should be illegal. I'm personally against slavery, but I don't think it should be illegal. There are other people, other human beings, and they need to be protected. Sometimes you hear something like this or a uh, variation of it. People will say, Society shouldn't force women to bring unwanted children into the world. 
for their children, they don't want them. Maybe it's going to be a, a poor life. They're not cared for. Why, why should you have these unwanted children that are in the world? And so it'd be better to just, you know, abort them. And again, does this make it seem like abortion just reverses time so that there actually never was a child? I mean, before the child exists, you know, maybe that's a good consideration. And it's good to consider, should I be doing actions that may lead to there being a, a new human life, a, new, a baby in this world? And most of the time, not every single time, but most of the time, you know, that child is the, the result of, of choices and risks that were made. But I think some people, they like using this argument because it makes it sound like somewhere out there we just have farms full of women that we are just, you know, making be uh, pregnant and, you know, bringing children into this world uh, with these pregnancy farms. Um, and it's not like that. As I said, except for a small percentage of those that are raped, uh, no one is, is forcing this on someone. But even more importantly, just because a child isn't wanted, isn't wanted by, by mom or mom and dad, it doesn't mean that it isn't a human being with a right to live. So it all goes back to what is it? It's a human being, an innocent human life. And also, would you say the same thing if it was a toddler? I have this toddler, but I don't want this toddler. You know, so I can just, let's just end the life of this toddler and be done with it. I don't want it anymore. When can you change your mind? You know, there's actually some, you know, uh, ethicist, Peter Singer of Princeton, that's one that says, you, you know, there really, he admits there really is no big difference between a baby inside the womb and outside of the womb. And so you have an infant, you should have a, you know, a period of time where you can decide, did you really want this one? Is it everything that you hope for? And it's still pretty young, doesn't have a lot of, you know, brain activity yet. And so if you decide to, to scrap it, go ahead. This university ethicist. And realize even if you don't want it, there are many people that do. You know, there's so many people that, that want to adopt and can't and are looking for children and will take children and do take children. So this, this reason, just it, it, it falls apart the more that you think about it. And yes, it is better to wait to have sexual relations until you can bring a child into a stable family. I mean, in, in the world, people aren't talking about this, but I mean, if you think about this, uh, the way that God's plan of marriage and sexuality and family, wow, it really seems like hmm, that, that really would be best for, for children. That you wait until you are ready to be married, to get married, and then you have sexual relations, knowing that it may cause a child to come into this world, but then that child is going to come into the world in a stable, healthy family with its mom and its dad, who are committed to each other and to, every, and to any children that God may bring into their life. I mean, that's what marriage is supposed to be. It's not just that you're uh, having a really public uh, display of your affection and that you're going steady for a while and you're temporarily committed to each other and your love. You know, we've made in our society uh, marriage all about just the romance of two adults, when in reality, it is a, a covenant arrangement and it is before God and it is also before the community and family and everyone else and a commitment to each other. And it is that commitment so that the husband is not going to leave the wife if she gets pregnant. That they're going to stay together. They're going to be there to raise any children that may come out of their union should God bless them in that way. Now, I mentioned that usually children come because of choices one way or another, but there are exceptions to this. I mean, you think about what about cases of rape? And oftentimes people will go to this right away. I mean, it's an emotional issue. It's a hard case. It's a hard issue. And what would I say 
you know, to someone that was, you know, in a situation like that, you know, I can't, I can't even imagine, you know, the pain, the trauma. And for all of us, myself, we would want to have just a tremendous amount of compassion for someone going through that. Although if there's someone that needs to die, I, I would pick the rapist. A woman who is raped will have enough trauma to deal with. There's no getting around that. There's no getting away from that. She will have enough trauma to deal with. What she does not need is additional trauma added to that coming from the action of abortion and the guilt and the regret in her conscience from that decision, that action. The guilt in her conscience from that the ending of a human life, that of the other innocent victim of abortion. So a woman that's raped is an innocent, is a victim. And also, if a child is produced through that, that is another innocent victim of that abortion. And to someone if in that situation, I would plead to, to consider that the child is an innocent life. And there are horrible things that happened, horrible things that happened to you, and nothing is going to, to change that. But the life of this child is innocent. And that every child, every child is valuable, no matter how it got here. I mean, there are children that come into this world, and mom and dad planned them, and they wanted them, and they are valuable. There are children that come into this world, and mom and dad didn't plan them, uh, they weren't thinking they were going to have children at this time, but here it is. Guess what? Those children are valuable. And even if child child comes into the world in in the hardest of situations, you know, that situation that caused it is terrible, but that child is valuable and that child is good. I found out that research shows that between seventy-five and eighty percent of women who become pregnant who are raped actually choose to keep their babies rather than having them aborted. Why? Because the abortion does not erase the trauma of the rape. Adoption is also an option. If you need to do that, there really is no trauma-free solution, and the situation is not your fault. There's a famous gospel singer, Ethel Waters, and she was born after her mother was raped at, at age 12. And I know there are many other examples. The, the personhood of the, um, of, of the baby, the humanity of that baby is what we need to focus on most. But I, I think it is also important to talk about this. Uh, how often is this the reason? I mean, we talk to people about abortion. This comes up so quickly that you think, like, well, this is the primary reason that people have abortions. This is supposed to be a major reason. Do you know statistically how many abortions are done because there was pregnancy because of rape? According to Planned Parenthood's own Guttmacher Institute, 1%. It's 1%. So people try to use this as, well, this is the reason that all abortions should be illegal because sometimes there needs to be an abortion because of rape. But let me say, even if you granted that premise, even if you said, okay, abortion should be illegal if there was rape, you know, that would be like saying, okay, because once in a while, you might have to break some traffic laws and run a red light and speed to get to the, the emergency room, therefore, there shouldn't be any traffic laws. And that doesn't make sense, even if, so you were willing to say that abortion is okay if there was rape. And most people that bring this up, it's a, it's a red herring, it's, it's a ploy, it's an emotional thing to do to put you on the defensive so you're, you're talking about this issue first rather than the other things that need to be addressed. But this is a, this is a baby, this is, there's a humanity of the unborn here. And again, I write this down according to the Planned Parenthood's Guttmacher Institute, 1% of abortions are because of rape. And it might actually be less than that. Let me read this. According to a Guttmacher Institute report, quoting here, 
among the structured survey respondents, the two most common reasons for abortion were, quote, having a baby would dramatically change my life. Well, yeah, it does. <laughs> and I can't afford a baby now, cited by 74% and 73% respectively. A large proportion of women cited relationship problems or a desire to avoid single motherhood, 48%. Nearly 4 in 10 indicated they had completed their childbearing, and almost one-third said they were not ready to have a child. Women also cited possible problems affecting the health of the fetus or concerns about their own health, 13 or 12 percent, respectively. Notice it's only 13 or 12 that are even claiming any type of like health issue. The rest so far have been about socioeconomic things or it's going to change my lifestyle, it's going to, there's going to be you know, more pressure, it's going to, those type of things. And then respondents wrote in a number of specific health reasons from chronic or debilitating conditions such as cancer or cystic fibrosis to pregnancy-specific concerns such as gestational diabetes and morning sickness. Yeah, guess what? If you get pregnant, you might get morning sickness. Just so you know. Going on, the most common sub-reason given was that women could not afford a baby now because she was unmarried, 42%. 38% indicated that having a baby would interfere with their education, and the same proportion said it would interfere with their employment. In a related vein, 34% said they could not afford a child because they were a student or were planning to study. So we see here, and this is statistics you know, by people in favor of abortion, and you look at this, and you know, the, the hard cases of abortion, 1%, everything else mostly is, uh, I, I, I don't want to pay for this baby, I don't want to give up the time for this baby, this baby's going to interfere with my life too much. Those are the real reasons that are given. Let me move on. Some people say we should reduce the causes of abortion but not have laws against abortion. Again, this would be like saying, you know, we should really reduce the, the causes of rape, but we don't really need to have laws against rape. You wouldn't say that. That wouldn't make sense. You realize that, okay, laws don't, even if they don't keep every rape from happening, it is good to have laws against rape. It's good to have laws protecting other people. And in the same way, as serious as rape is, as serious as sex trafficking is, as serious as slavery is, and those are all horrible things, ending the life of an innocent human being is definitely not less than those other things. But also, when people say this, reduce the, the causes, uh, why would it have to be either or? I mean, this is a both and. Yeah, we should uh, protect those that are unborn, and yeah, we should try to reduce the causes. Now, sometimes when people say this, they have other agendas, and say, well, you know, we'd have less uh, uh, abortions if we had more socialist policies or, you know, they'll smuggle whatever into it that they want to do. And so, but on the surface, I would say I would agree, yes, we need to lower the, the causes of this. Now, you, people in the world might not like what I would say are part of the causes of this, is that we've gone away from a, a healthy uh, view and ethic of marriage and sexuality and family. And if we held to that, and if we lived that out consistently, if we modeled that for other people, and with grace, we had that as, as the, the community expectation that people aim for, think of how much that would change everything. Another one. If abortion is illegal, it will force women into dangerous back-alley abortions. You hear this one a lot. And people will just jump straight to, if you make abortion illegal, women will die. You will be killing them. You will be responsible because you are forcing them into, these, into some back alley with a coat hanger, with some crackpot, wannabe doctor, and women are going to die because of this. And actually, as they tried to push Roe versus Wade, the decision that legalized abortion, is one of the things that they said that there was, they claimed that there was thousands of women dying every year from these illegal abortions. 
Sometimes, you know, they would give numbers like uh, 5,000, 10,000 women that were, were, would die because of this. And if we just make it safe, then it would be better. Well, this would also be like saying, you know, we should, I guess, legalize bank robbery. Because sometimes bank robbers get hurt during bank robberies. So if we legalize it, we need to make bank robberies safer for bank robbers. Also, women aren't forced to have illegal abortions. Okay, even if somebody's in that position, even if you didn't, you know, if a choice between legal or illegal, that's still a choice that is being made. But also the numbers that are given are, they're, they're false. They're propaganda. And even abortionists and people that are pro-abortion choice, if they're honest and they look at the data, they realize this. Let me read a quote here. Dr. Christopher Teets, a statistician whose work was prominently featured in Planned Parenthood's own publications during the 60s and 70s, called the claim of 5,000 to 10,000 deaths a year, quote, unmitigated nonsense, noting that 45,000 American women of reproductive age die each year from all causes. Teets stated, it is inconceivable that so large a number as five to 10,000 are all from one source. His own estimates put the number of illegal abortion deaths at 500 annually for the years leading up to Roe v. Wade. Those statistics, they were propaganda, they were, we were not true, and it was to uh, stoke the fear of what would happen. And that somehow you're, you're forcing the situation. It's still a choice, and also even before Roe v. Wade, uh, this is a distortion of the reality. Now, every death is a tragedy. But even in a safe abortion, there's one human life at least that is killed. And the one who had no choice at all in the matter. What if an abortion is needed for the life and the health of the mother? This is another question. How do you deal with this one? As we just saw, the overwhelming majority of abortions are not for health reasons at all. It was a small percentage. It was even claimed it was anything for the health of, of the mother, health of the child. And even a lot of those that are for some of the health reasons, wow. I mean, there's countries like um, you know, Iceland that claims to have you know, wiped out Down syndrome. Wow, what a great thing. Would they cure Down syndrome? No, it's because they abort every baby that has Down syndrome. According to Michigan law, it actually prohibits abortion after viability, uh, which the state has set at 24 and a half weeks, except in cases to preserve the life or health of the mother. So first you think, okay, at least there's some limits here. It should be more. But then you have to look at that phrase, except for the life and health of the mother. And that goes back to the Doe versus Bolton decision. That was uh, the companion case to Roe v. Wade. And in this, the Supreme Court talked about that uh, even though states at a certain point were able to regulate abortion, that they still couldn't do that if it would uh, affect the, the life or health of the mother. And at first you might be thinking, well, that's kind of, kind of reasonable. Maybe you're thinking that, maybe not. But what we need to realize is that the Supreme Court also defined health to include not just even physical health, but emotional health, psychological health. And this means that basically you can claim that pretty much anything is the health and, or life of the mother. If it's, you know, anything from uh, my baby's not perfect, you know, to, well, there's a, a chance I'm, I might uh, have a, a rough time in the pregnancy. Well, you know, yeah, the, every pregnancy does have risks. Also, driving to the hospital or driving to the abortion clinic has risks, too. You get hit by a car. But if you say, well, there's, there's a chance there. But it also means that people can complain mental health, stress. This baby would be too stressful for me. And so it, it fits that, that reason that it's the, the life and health of the mother. Because oftentimes you might think that, well, this means, if, if you say, I'm okay with it if it's the life and health of the mother, you're thinking, 
Like the baby's going to die, the mom's going to die, they have to do an abortion to, to save them or to save one, at least the mom. But for a lot of people, it's just, well, I, I'd, be, I'd be stressed. So that health thing, you have to realize, is a Trojan horse. They'll, they'll fit anything into that. Let me talk a little bit. There are rare times, rare exceptions, when there are situations, um, such as certain types of what's called an ectopic pregnancy. And an example of that would be when the human embryo implants somewhere other than the uterus, where it's supposed to be. And there are times, according to, to my reading, I'm, I'm, not this kind of, I'm not that kind of a doctor, but um, especially very common when, it, uh, when the, uh, the embryo, it's a name for the, the little tiny unborn baby, uh, implants in the inner wall of the fallopian tube. It's not where it's supposed to be, and that baby will grow, and eventually it will rupture the fallopian tube and cause hemorrhaging. And in specific cases like that, um, according to looking into this, the, the baby never survives. At least not with the technology that we have today. There's no way to save the baby. And it is also a leading cause of pregnancy-related deaths, the leading cause of pregnancy-related deaths in mother in the first trimester. So even solid Christian ethicists have looked at that and said, okay, in a situation like that, 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 that's different. And there might still be some disagreement, but most have looked at that and said, if you have a situation where in reality you know that your choice is between saving the life of one or they're both going to die, then you do as much good as you can. So I think that is a, a different situation but I would say that's, you know, that could all change depending on medical technology. And there could be times when you know, people claim that something is, is risky, but do you really know? Do you really know what's going to happen? But that would be kind of an exception. But even in that case, you know, the removing of the baby is intended to save the life of the mother. It's not intended to take the life of the child. Abortion never saves the life of the baby. And includes a lot of female babies. If you care about this as like a woman's, you know, issue. And realize, uh, probably here but also globally, way more women are aborted than men. Way more. Because in a lot of cultures, they view women as being less. They want to have a, they want to have a, a man. They want to have a, their son. And so somehow we think, you know, abortion is this women's health issue when it's killing even more women than men. Things are so upside down. And how many minorities are killed in proportion to other races? In 2020, it says that the majority of abortions in Michigan, 56%, were from Wayne, uh, Genesee, Macomb counties. You know, if we said that we're going to have specific voting laws just for those counties, people would say, what, you're targeting people. 56% of abortions... So in case you didn't see this as a social justice issue yet, African-American women make up 14% of the population of Michigan. You account for half of abortions, which I guess is great if you're a racist. Which, guess what? Mar Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, total racist. There's the quotes from her that founded Planned Parenthood to keep undesirable people from populating. One passage that comes up sometimes is Exodus 21. I'm going to talk about this briefly. Because sometimes people will say, you might hear this, the Bible actually says that abortion is okay. And they'll say, look at Exodus 21:22. It's the command in the Old Testament. And it treats, they will say, a unborn child differently if it is killed than a, a, a born woman. Let me read this. When men strive together, this means you're, you're they're fighting, so it gives this hypothetical example. If there's two guys and they're fighting and hurt a woman with a child, you know, so somehow, I don't know, you know they're, they're chucking rocks at each other and somehow something happens and it injures a woman with a child and it says, so that there is a miscarriage and yet no harm follows, the one who hurt her shall be fined. According to the woman's husband, uh, according to the woman's husband shall lay upon him and he shall pay the, as the judge determines. 
And so they point to this and say, see, even if there's this, this the fighting that happens and it causes a miscarriage, which is basically the same as they say in an abortion, it wouldn't have happened otherwise. You know, this person isn't convicted of murder. You know, you just get a fine, you know, for this to happen. And they'll point to this, and I, it's good for you to be aware of this because there are times people will bring this up. Well, first of all, notice this is from the Revised Standard Version, okay, which is a fairly liberal version, just saying that. But let's look at how it's translated in some other versions. Our pew Bibles and the ones that uh, Pastor Nick and I preach out of are the English Standard Version. And there it reads like this, When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined, and it goes on, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judge's determine. but if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life. And it goes, it goes on from there. I included verse 23 in here. It wasn't in 22. And probably if someone's using that against, you know, for their thing, they, they won't mention how it goes on. They won't add to verse 23. But notice it says here, it doesn't say miscarriage. It just says the baby comes out. And that is very literal what the, what the Hebrew says. It doesn't specifically say miscarriage, meaning the, the, the baby dies. Um, uh, it doesn't really say the baby dies or lives. You have to infer that by context. But it says just literally the baby comes out, which means it could just mean that it caused a, a pregnancy, uh, it caused you know, a, a premature birth. So the King James Version says something similar, but kind of in old-timey language, so that her fruit depart from her, and yet no mischief follow. So basically, it's the, the baby comes out, but there's, there's nothing else that happens. The New American Standard, so that she gives birth prematurely, but there's no injury. And also the NIV and the New King James basically say the same thing, giving birth prematurely, uh, but no serious injury or no harm that follows. So if you look at that and what that means, and you think through the logic of this, I think it's not talking about that the baby is killed with a miscarriage. I think it's, it's at least possible, and I think much more likely, that this is saying that it causes a premature birth, but if the baby's fine, if no harm follows, okay, you get a fine, but you're not to be treated as a murderer. But if there is, then it's, this is life for life, because that was the Old Testament punishment for, for murder is that you take a life, you lose your life. So I think that's, if you really look at this, this is supporting the pro-life position and the integrity and the, the value of the child. Even in something like this that is, that is um, accidental. Second section here as we Kind of finishes up. There are no good reasons to take away an unborn baby's right to live. We talked about this a little bit last time briefly, but I want to make this more explicit. And I'm using an acronym that I've seen from uh, used by uh, Scott Klusendorf and others that uh, educate on pro-life issues. And he uses the acronym SLED. Okay, S L E D. And each of these uh, communicate that. None of these things actually make it morally okay to kill an innocent human being. None of these things actually change the essence of what it is in the womb. That it doesn't change it from being subhuman or non-human to a human being. But a lot of people will point to these. So there's a lot of other objections you could give, but basically they're countered by, by realizing that these four things, size, level of development, environment, degree of dependency, none of these change the essence of that baby. So the first of these is, is size. I mean, you just think about it logically. Does size determine value? Okay, do large people have more human rights than small people? Okay, do tall people have more rights than shorter people? That's not how it works. Our five-year-old kids are not less valuable than a, a nine-year-old kid that's bigger than them. We don't punish murderers less for killing a small child than a large adult. Okay? We don't put them on a scale and, and weigh them for this. 
If you decide that you want to do a weight loss program and lose some weight, you do not lose your value as a person because you have become smaller. Okay? To quote one eminent wise man, size matters not. Look at me. Judge me by my size, do you? I want to show you something. These are amazing. These were uh, loaned to us from uh, Alpha Women's Center in Hastings. Great ministry that we support. We have uh, several people from the congregation involved there. And, you know, they, they help women that are in difficult situations, uh, find themselves in pregnancy that they weren't expecting, helping moms that have limited uh, resources. You know, if they say, oh, you don't care about women after they give birth. Uh, yeah, we do. I mean, we support this as a church. I hope that you do. We have people that give their time and effort to this. We want to come alongside women. If they say, well, it's, I want to abort this child because I, I can't afford diapers or bottles or resources, oh, we want to help you with that. We want to take away that as a reason. But they gave us uh, these, and I've been just fascinated by these all week. I'll just tell you this. Okay, these are life-touch fetal models, so models of fetuses. And you say, oh, fetus, it's an unborn baby. Okay, a fetus is just a descriptor. It doesn't actually change. The word fetus comes from Latin. It just means infant or baby. Uh, but it's not like a different thing, like you were a fetus and then you become a human being. You know, it's like toddler, teenager. Uh, you know, it's, they're just different stages. But look at this. These are so cool. Um, you can, like, uh, touch them and stuff. And so look at this guy here. Look at this. What we got here, this is a 30-week uh, old unborn baby. And these are um, they're scientifically accurate. So this is like size, like level of detail, level of development. And look at this and say, do you think it would be okay to, to kill this baby? Whether it's outside the womb or whether it's still inside the womb? Like how just your moral intuition, your, your wiring, it just has to say, no, this, this is a human being. This is a life. This needs to be protected. They say, well, what if it was a little bit smaller? We have different versions that are in here. So we, uh, we bring out a, a slightly smaller one. This one is 26 weeks, so a few weeks less. You know, babies, they, they grow a lot in those last you know, few weeks. So this, this little guy here, 26 uh, weeks old, he's smaller. But what in the world you know, could make you say, well, you know, size is a big difference. So you know, it's, we got this one here. It's, it's, you shouldn't kill this one, but I guess this one's a little smaller, so maybe that's okay. I don't know where you would draw the line there. The size matter. Well, if that's the case, what if, what if the baby was a, a little bit smaller? There's several different uh, kind of models here. You know, this has been really educational for me because, okay, this is one I just showed you, but, you know, before, okay, I'm a guy. Okay, I don't really get these things. I, we have four children, okay? I just know when my, my wife became pregnant, after a while she started to get big, and then she was really big. And... I think she's downstairs in kids' blast. So, uh. <laughs> and then we have babies, and here they are. But it, but if you told me, because you know I, I'm doing all this research and I'm like, okay, at 20 weeks and 32 weeks and eight weeks, I would have no idea. You know, so okay, viability of this and eight weeks. It's like I couldn't have told you before this week. Like, okay, 20 weeks, eight weeks. Uh, you have a 32 week. You have a 68 week baby. Uh, I, I, I I wouldn't know. <laughs> No idea. So these have been really helpful. I've been entranced by these. Yeah, pastor's been playing with baby dolls, okay? <laughs> but let's say it's a, a little bit smaller. We got a smaller one here. Let's look at this little guy. He's tinier. So this one here, this is, this is 20 weeks, okay? And yeah, it's, it's little, but I'm glad you can see this, you know, zoomed in. But man, that's, that's, just, that's a baby, it's not a real one, but it's a scientifically accurate replica. You see all the parts. You see the design here. It's just getting bigger. It's just developing. It's just growing. Judge me by my size, do you? 
but it's got even smaller ones here. Look at this, 12 weeks. Look how little we're getting. I'll put it over my jacket so you can see it better. He's super little, 12 weeks. Now my reading read that most abortions are done after eight weeks. So I wanted to think, okay, what, what is true about an eight-week-old child? And when, where are we at there? When you get that, you know, you're starting to get pretty little. But again, what, where does the size cut off? Would you say, okay, if the baby's a little bigger than this, you can, you can kill this one? You can kill this guy? That's a little tiny baby. It's just a smaller version of what we saw later on. But to look up an eight-week child, and for that we had to go into this case. That's why we needed the, the camera to zoom in. Let's see if we can get these. Oh, get this guy here. So you got some really little guys here. We got a good zoom on our camera. So we got here, this is a baby at 10 weeks, 9 weeks, 8 weeks. And this one over here, this little guy, he's 7 weeks. That's really early on. So 8 weeks is not the very smallest one, but it's the second smallest. You know, look at this. The camera, I know it's a little tough, but if you can look at this close up, and we're going to have these out on the display in the, the foyer, and take a look at them. Show them to your kids. Help them to realize, this is what you used to look like. So I didn't look like that. That doesn't look like me. Well, it looked exactly like you when you were that age. You see arms, you see legs, you see eyes, and all this. Do you know what is true about... A baby even this size, at this size, every organ is already present in this baby. There are no organs that, that come later. It's, it's already there. Most of them have been there for a while. The stomach is making digestive juices. Okay, the liver is producing uh, the blood cells. Taste buds are forming. There are measurable brain waves already. The heart is beating steadily. The baby's eyelids and hands are sensitive to touch. Even though this guy is like really little, he'd be about an inch and a half if you stretched him out. Size is what matters. Size isn't what gives you, gives you value. It doesn't change what you are. And if what you are is a human being, then you have human rights. That's how it is. The L stands for level of development. That was another close-up of the little tiny one. I didn't know if the zoom would really work. Again, it's just, just the model, but you can really see some of the detail there. You know, you can find things online to see what these uh, little guys look like to confirm this. So that size, level of development. We say, well, okay, it's not really the size, but it's how developed it is. And it was little, but it's so much less developed, and so that makes it okay to, to abort it because it's, it's a different level of development. Let's give yourself this level of, let's say, consciousness. Does that determine if you have human value? Does level of processing ability determine whether you have human value or not, or if you're deserving of life? Well, think about this. You know, what if you are in an accident and you lose some of that ability? that make you less worthy of life. Think of this. If you're talking about consciousness, self-awareness, a newborn infant does not have the same level of consciousness and self-awareness. It probably doesn't have real what we would call self-awareness yet. Does that mean it's okay to kill infants? And what about level of development? The more developed you are, then the more wrong it is to, to kill you. And so, does that mean that if you uh, kill children, it's, it's better because they're less developed than adults? And if you can kill them before puberty, I guess that's better because before puberty, they're less developed than adults. Now, one question that you might think of is, well, what about when they're really, really small? Now, most abortions don't take place there unless it's the abortion pill, which is actually a lot. But you say, well, the baby doesn't really have even, at some point, a developed brain yet. And some people say, well, if you had a brain-dead adult, not just in a coma, but like straight out the brain is dead, and the body is just being kind of kept alive with uh, machines pumping blood and uh, pumping air, but the brain is dead, 
A lot of people say that that person is actually gone. And therefore, is it really a person yet? Is it really something if, if there's not an actual formed brain yet? But think about it, there's a difference there, isn't there? And in one case, this is uh, the difference between um, not functioning yet and having stopped function. And for a, an unborn uh, a child that, that may be just shortly after conception, and notice how quickly the brainwaves start forming. It is really quick, actually. That, that uh, unborn baby, you know, whether you want to call it you know, embryo or zygote or whatever, it is, it is forming, it is growing, it is developing as a different situation than somebody that is, uh, that is brain dead, and that's the, the end of their life. Some people will say, well, there's a difference between being a human and being alive and being a person. There are people that will say this. And so they'll admit that, okay, I admit it's a human life, but that doesn't mean it's a person. Realize that's the same reasoning that the Nazis used to kill the Jews. That there's some persons out there that are humans out there. They might be a human, but they're not really a person. They don't have that value. Gilbert Melander, in his book on bioethics, I want to read this quote because I think it ties in with this. Because sometimes people relate this to you know, people that are disabled later on or have profound mental illnesses. He writes, Suppose a child is born who throughout his life will have profound mental limitations, or suppose an elderly woman has now become severely demented. How shall we describe such human beings? We might say, as many will today, that Although they may be living human beings, they are not persons. But might we also say, and I think should say, that they are persons with severe disabilities, the weakest among us. And Jesus taught us to care about the least of these, the weakest among us. And then with someone with disabilities or somebody that is in the womb just starting out life, protect those that are the least, the weakest among us. Some people will say, well, yeah, but you haven't really, you can't really, really know when life begins, or you can't really know when personhood begins. Think about this. Even for the sake of argument, if you wanted to say you can't know for sure, okay, and I think you can, and we've, we tried to demonstrate this, but even if, for sake of argument, you granted that is true, how could you know for sure that it's not a human being? that it's not a life, that it's not a person, that it's not someone that you would be murdering that if you killed it. How could you know that for sure? If you, an illustration has been given that if you were going to blow up a building, but there might be children in it, you wouldn't say, well, I don't know for sure that there's children in it. There just might be children in this building, so let's blow it up. And it's okay because I don't know for sure. Another Christian philosopher has given, if I remember right, an illustration like this. It's kind of gruesome, not as gruesome as abortion, but kind of gruesome. He said, imagine that you walk into a room, and on the floor there is a a blanket that is shaped like a, a boy, okay? But you don't know for sure that there's a boy sleeping under that blanket, or if it's just that's how the blanket is, and maybe it's a bunch of pillows, would you say, well, I don't know for sure, so it's okay to take a pitchfork? You say, that is deranged. Even if you didn't know for sure, you should say, I error on the side of a life and caution, because I don't know, and if I get this wrong, I'm killing someone. Now, again, I think you can know. I believe that life begins at conception, and, and, and with life and human life is personhood and the image of God and all these things. But even if you wanted to claim you didn't know, you can't know for sure that you're not killing someone. The E is for environment. Well, we'll let you see all these. Where it's located and where you are doesn't change your value. Your zip code doesn't determine your actual value as a human being. It's your, the fact that you're a human. In the Bible, we know you're creating the image of God. If you sat in a different pew today, if you switch pews, that doesn't change your value as a human being. And also, if the eight to nine inch journey down the birth canal does not change your value all of a sudden, whether you're 
inside or outside of mom does not magically give you value. And then degree of dependency. When we say the unborn are dependent on their mothers for survival, and that's the game changer. We'll realize infants are also dependent on their mom and their parents. Okay, I mean, without mom there, without care, an infant isn't going to last two days. So if you want to say dependency is what matters, well, where do you end that? What about if you're a diabetic person, you're dependent on insulin? Does that mean you're less valuable because you're dependent on something? And let's face it, me, without my wife Hope, I got like a week tops, okay? <laughs> there are some chronic, there's some abortion choice advocates that have literally compared the unborn child in a mom's womb to a parasite. A parasite. That's ridiculous. That's demented. They're right where they're supposed to be. This is the design of life. And you're calling as that child's mother is to nourish that child and take care of that child as your responsibility. And if you say the viability of an unborn child gives rights, that's what the Supreme Court says and what they argue, and uh, at least some of them, then, well, that would mean viability is when the age when an unborn um, child could theoretically live outside the womb. If it was born that early, it could live. And so in uh, some stuff they're arguing um, that with the Supreme Court that that's when, okay, you can grant some rights if they can live outside the womb. Um, but that would mean that babies with better hospitals have more of a right to live than babies without better hospitals or in de- underdeveloped countries. And the age of viability keeps decreasing. So that somehow, does that, that change? All of a sudden, it's a person that is valuable of life. At the time of Roe vs. Wade in 73, it was considered 28 weeks. Viability is now normally considered to be about 24 weeks of pregnancy. Michigan law sets it at 24 and a half. Before 24 weeks, uh, there's a 50% survival rate at best. That doesn't mean that even before that, there's some babies that do live. Now, right now with the technology we have, it can't be too many weeks before that. And I wanted to look up, I'm like, well, what's the earliest that a baby has lived? And I found out this guy has a Guinness Book World Record. Show you his picture here, found this. Curtis Means was born at 21 weeks and one day. Holds the Guinness Book of World Records. He was born on July 5, 2020, University of Alabama, Birmingham. With a precious little life. So viability, degree of dependency, none of these things change your essence, change the value that you have. That's because you're a human being. That's because you're created in the image of God. And we need to protect other people. You think of this, you think of this birth, you think, wow, that's, that's a miracle. And wow, I mean, God is miraculous. The whole design of life is miraculous. You know, there is an even bigger miracle. It's the second birth. And Jesus said, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you better be born again. John 3.3. 3. And so if you're here today, abortion is a big deal. It really is. We need to care about the unborn. We need to care about these lives. But I also want to reiterate to you, and you've been hearing this throughout the service, that whether you consider yourself the biggest sinner that there's been, maybe it's because of something like this. Maybe it's other things, because there's all kinds of sins that are out there, and they're all against an infinitely holy God. We need physical birth, yep. But we also need to be born again. And through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, that you can receive new life salvation by coming to him, trusting in him. God is the author and giver of both spiritual and physical life. Cherish both. Steward both. Defend both. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. Let's pray. Lord, let us value human life the way that you value it. People created in the image of God equal in value, no matter their size, no matter their level of development, no matter where they are, in the womb, out of the womb, how dependent they are, what matters, human beings.
created in the image of God. You are God of great grace. Lord, whether it is a sin regarding abortion, pushing someone to abortion, advocating for that, or whether it's any sin, Lord God, that we have, and we all have sin, Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ that came to wash away all our sins by his grace that even the worst can be forgiven. None of us here are good. None of us here are perfect. None of us here are truly innocent in your eyes because we have sinned. But by turning to Jesus, we can be washed. We can be considered innocent through the second birth because of what you have done. Let us receive you. Let us trust in you. And let us value what you value. And you value life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.